1: Welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, from last summer to this summer, the Lakers roster build is night and day. From small guards galore, to a more diversified crop of players at every position with size, particularly the forward spots. Up and down the roster, the Lakers have largely fortified each position. And while there's still a lot of work to be done, and a lot that needs to be sussed out, the best thing I can say about the Lakers roster thus far is it makes sense. Nay, it makes Gabe Vincent's. Oh. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and today I'm joined by my co host, Tommy Alexander. And in this episode, Tommy, we will be continuing our offseason talk by focusing in on the quote unquote adults in the room that the Lakers have signed in free agency, namely Torian Prince and Gabe Vincent. Tommy, quick question. Do you think the Lakers have enough veterans on this team, quote unquote adults in the room? Or do you think by this point, having seen what happened last year with the group of relative inexperienced guys, but guys who have been around in the NBA, do you think at this point that having enough vets is an overrated term?
0: I think when you have LeBron on your team, and especially like LeBron and AD, I do think it's like a little bit overrated. I think we lost last year because we were out talented. I don't think it was like a lack of, I mean, maybe you could argue like the playoff experience and whatever, like, uh, maybe like some of our guards weren't ready for the physicality, but I do think it's overrated.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And we saw what happens when you over-index on too many veterans who are there mentally, but not there physically, right? In the 2021 season with, like, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Avery Bradley, DeAndre Jordan, Rajon Rondo. We're like, we are ready-made for the playoffs, and we never even got to go there because the guys didn't have their legs. So let's quickly talk about Torian Prince. For this first section, we'll talk about Torian Prince. For the second section, we will talk about Gabe Vincent and... We recorded these segments separately, so Tommy will be on his uh, crispy, nice mic for the Gay Vincent section. But for this Torian Prince section, Tommy, do you have any updated thoughts on Prince in case you've been able to dig into more of his tape or any of his numbers? I've said it before, and I'll reiterate it again, but in my opinion, I think Prince is arguably the most important free agent signing this offseason for the Lakers. At the same time, he may be the most boring because you kind of just know what he'll give you, and he's been playing this 3&D role for playing it to perfection for the last three or four years. And I think because of that, it's easy to slot Torian Prince into the cookie-cutter 3&D wing mold that most people have placed him under, including myself. But I think for me, after diving into more of his tape and recognizing and remembering that this dude was once a lotto pick, the number 12 pick in the 2016 draft— I uncovered that there's more to him than meets the eye outside of just being a cookie cutter 3 and D wing, even though that is a role that he has played, again, to perfection. So really quickly, what we do know about er, Tayshaun Prince... (laughs) (laughs) What we do do know about Torian Prince is he is a 37% career three-point shooter. The best part about Prince, though, is during this past regular season... Torian Prince was a 41% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, which is such an important skill to have on a LeBron James AD team. And specifically, Tommy, Torian Prince shot 44% from the left corner three and 42% from the right corner three. So when LeBron, D'Lo, or Reeves drive it into the paint and you see Torian Prince sliding down with them and relocating to the corners, get the ball to him and there's a good chance he's knocking down that shot. But yeah, outside of the three-point shooting, is there anything from your end that you've you've noticed from Torian Prince if you've been able to dive into his tape a little bit more?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's so easy to get distracted by the three-point shooting because it's been such a glaring need um, at that position for so long. And, you know, the measurables of a 3 and D wing, like, I, I think, like, I'm definitely one of these people who got sucked into... Uh, just assuming like that's who this guy is. Um, But like you said, he does some other things with the ball. I mean, it's like, it's hard to say, because I've personally never watched him that closely other than his highlights, right? So it's like in the highlights, it's like he is doing kind of the things I guess he's more known for. Um, But the ability to switch on defense um, and yeah, the ability to not just be a guy who you know, is going to stand in the corner and catch the ball and only shoot open shots. Like he, he has the ability to do some things and it sort of fits like the model of what we're going for with, you know, our signings last is certainly this year, but even like if you're thinking back to last year, like basketball players as opposed to like specialists.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, when we had KCP, it's kind of like we have KCP who's, three inches taller in Torian Prince. And Mm -hmm. by that, I mean, one observation that I've made looking at his tape more closely is the fact that he's a very good attack, the closeout sort of player off his own dribble. Like he's pretty comfortable putting the ball on the floor and taking it all the way into the rim and finishing. He's very physical as well. When he gets it into the lane, he's also not a bad passer off the dribble. And as I referenced earlier, I think we forget that this dude was a number 12 lotto pick in 2016. And that, in order to be a lotto pick, you have to sort of possess more than just being a typical 3 and D guy, right? And yeah. I think in college, he possessed, like, a lot of that off-the-dribble creation skills that gave him some upside intrigue as a lotto pick. Like, for example, his senior year at Baylor, he averaged 16.6 rebounds, but also 2 assists. And that's something that I've found from Torian Prince, that he's not just going to settle for the 3-point shot— yeah. If a defender closes out hard on him, he's going to drive it all the way to the rim and either finish himself or pass it to a big man or pass it back outside. And like you mentioned, that's the type of player that we want in our offensive system, guys who are versatile and can do a number of different things. And so that's something that surprised me where I was like, OK, this isn't like a prototypical Dorian Finney-Smith Damari Carroll, who's ironically now on the Lakers coaching staff, this isn't the prototypical one dimensional three and D role, which again Torian Prince can do, but he actually has something in his bag where he's not just going to settle for threes, even in early transition opportunities if he gets the ball and he sees a mismatch, he'll take that guy off the dribble and go straight to the rim. Now you're not often going to see him like shaking and baking and like crossing dudes over, but because he has pretty tight handle for a guy who's just going to be a tertiary dude who the defense is isn't necessarily actually, I don't want to say they're not necessarily going to hone in on him, but as opposed to a guy like Troy Brown, who we had last year, often when the ball got to Troy Brown, he just kind of had to keep the defense honest and shoot that three point shot. Right. Yeah. For Torian Prince, dudes are going to close out hard on him because they know he can make that three. And Torian Prince actually takes advantage of the fact that he gets hard closeouts and then utilizes the fact that he does have a dribble and that he can finish in the lane and that he can pass. So that's one thing that I was like, oh, actually, he's not going to do this every single time, but just the fact that he has this added element and, and dynamic to him I think makes him an even more lethal sort of wing, especially when you couple that with the fact that defenses are going to be honed in on LeBron James, Anthony Davis anyways. So if he was doing this stuff with the Minnesota Timberwolves, just think about how wide open the lane will be when he drives, right? So any last thoughts on that aspect?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like if you think
1: about players we've had in the
0: past, right? It's like Torian Prince is way more on the Kyle Kuzma end of the spectrum than he is on like the Danny Green end of the spectrum. And we've seen in like these deep playoff runs, right? Like, if you, like, guys are going to pick on weaknesses, right? And it's, like, the broad stroke, like, oh, this person's a poor offensive player, this person's a poor defensive player, like, that's, I feel like, what fans and and analysts, even on TV, like, tend to focus on. But there's, like, layers to it, right? So it's, it's like, you can be a, quote-unquote, decent enough offensive player, but if the opposing team knows that, you're a corner spot of three-point shooter like Danny Green and all they have to do is close out on you because if they close out on you, you're not going to be able to do... It's not like you're going to pump fake and take them off the dribble to the rim, right? Like Danny Green, KCP, like guys like that, like and KCP obviously has gotten better over the years, but it's just kind of a difference than like having a guy like Kuzma who is not necessarily, you know, as elite of a perimeter shooter, but like he can do things with the ball. you he keeps the defenses guessing. And it's like, we've seen this for years and years and years with these Spurs systems, even the Nuggets system, right. With Malone and, and, um, and now the Lakers with ham, obviously the bucks with bud, like it's the focus on offense is, seems to be a lot more based on getting guys who are going to keep the defenses guessing as opposed to, we know if the ball goes to the corner to Torian Prince, he's going to shoot, you know what I mean? So it, it's like you said it, it in many ways I think is going to end up being the most important signing uh, for our team but it's just like it's such a nice skill set to have I just and it's like the fit is so obvious and easy and it just you can already kind of see like Torian Prince like getting his a decent payday next summer because he's going to have the opportunity here and he should thrive in it.
1: Yeah, and he's a guy who doesn't complain about his role, even though he does have these skill sets. And again, just the way that he's going to make the defenses bend and catch people off guard because he can actually pass is, is crazy to me. And it's funny that you can even arguably say that Troy Brown probably had a better handle and more point guard playmaking skills than Torian Prince. But because Troy Brown can't shoot the way Torian Prince does... He often just had to take that shot because what was he going to do if he attacked the closeout? The paint was clogged, right? But with Torian Prince, it's going to be a totally different dynamic, and so I'm excited to see that in play. But having said all of that, at the end of the day, for the most part, Torian Prince is still going to take that shot and largely hit it, right? 44%, 42% from the corners, which is amazing. So, yeah, that'll do it for our quick update and updated thoughts on Torian Prince. Why don't we take it to break, and when we return, we're going to talk about the other young vet that the Lakers signed in Gay Vincent. I'm going to bring up some of my ongoing concerns with his acquisition while also highlighting what intrigues me the most about his skill set. So we'll take it to break and we'll catch you guys after the turn. And Tommy will be on his uh, nice and crispy mic for that segment. So yeah.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.
1: If you guys have enjoyed our off-season content this season, especially our NBA draft content, and you guys have gotten all the little nuggets and hot takes that you've needed, if you love all of our moneyball margin options on the free agency market and stuff like that that we've thrown out in the past, if you just enjoy consuming our content, please, please, please take a moment to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Also, please take a moment to give us a five-star thumb tap on the Spotify app. Just search for the Lakers Legacy Podcast on the Spotify app and click that five-star dial at the top of our page. It's that easy to do. Everybody has the Spotify app. We would greatly appreciate it. It will do a lot in determining the future of this show moving forward, especially as we head into the 2023-24 season. But for those who have supported us and continually listened, shared, subscribed given us reviews, given us five stars. For those who have given us money via Patreon, we truly appreciate you. If you haven't done any of these things yet, please consider doing so. It would mean a lot. And again, at this point, it's the only thing that drives this show. With that said, thank you for consuming our content and please enjoy the rest of the show. All right, Tommy. So I know we've already talked about this player in our off-season recap, but I wanted to talk to you more about Gay Vincent. So, Gabriel. let's talk about Gabe's dollhouse. Gabe! <laughs> as I've said before, Gabe Vincent is a very frisky, swaggy, dynamic shooter, especially off the bounce. If you play drop on him or go under on a screen, Gabe Vincent will let that thing fly and kill you. But as someone who actually watched Gabe Vincent play throughout the regular season, And did so with a heavy investment on how he played, because I placed some very specific player prop bets on him, mainly for him to pass like 9 points or so. But having placed those player prop bets on him, I was able to see the inconsistencies in his game. So, I again just want to forewarn Lakers fans about his play, specifically his shot selection, because... On one night, Gabe Vincent is liable to give you 22 points on 5 of 10 from 3. But then on the very next night, Gabe Vincent will go for 2 points on 1 of 8 shooting 0 of 5 from 3. And unfortunately, I was on the opposite end of those player prop bets where Gabe Vincent couldn't even score past 9 points. So I ended up losing some money. Anyways, that is just the type of player Gabe Vincent is. Hot on one night, cold on another. Now with regards to some of his other deficiencies and his most glaring weakness to me is the fact that outside of him being a 6263 guard is he's not a downhill paint attacker. Yeah. He does not get all the way into the lane and finish. In fact, his layup percentage last season and I mentioned this on Twitter, his layup percentage last season was a paltry 50%. He only converted 67 of 133 layups. on layups is very bad because you're right at the rim, Tommy. So D'Angelo Russell, in comparison, converted 67% of his layups at a much higher volume, 136 of 202. And again, D'Angelo Russell already isn't a player that you'd call an aggressive paint attacker, and yet he's blowing Gabe Vincent out of the water in that department. It's one thing if he also had Dennis Schroeder's ability to drive it down defense's throats with quickness and physicality, and he was able to draw fouls and convert at the rim. But Gabe Vincent doesn't do any of those things. I guess my biggest concern is just that at the end of the day, he is a 6'2, 6'3 guard who, if his shot isn't for real or it's not falling, you wonder how effective he can really be. Because if we just look at the actual tangible stats, his percentages are all over the place. Yeah. Now, in the playoffs, he shot 38% from three on high volume, knocking down 2.3 threes a game. So you love that. But last year in the playoffs, he only shot 31% from three, hitting just one a game. And then in the regular season for his career, he's never shot even 37% from three on the same volume that he did in the playoffs this past season at 2.3 makes. He is a career 39% shooter from the field in general and a career 34% shooter from three. And last year in the regular season, he only shot 33% from three on 1.7 makes. Now, in 2021-22, he did shoot 36.8% from three on 1.8 makes, and that was his best year. But the year before that, he only shot 31% from three hitting just one three a game. And then his rookie season, he shot 22% from three on 0.7 makes. Now, if we look closer into where he was getting his shots... Last year in the regular season, he only shot 34.7% on catch-and-shoot threes, which is a very important number given the fact that on a LeBron James-led team, the majority of your shots are going to be in the catch-and-shoot variety. So Gabe Vincent only shot 34.7% on his catch-and-shoot threes last year. In comparison, a guard like Javon Carter knocked down 43.9% of his catch-and-shoot threes. And then extending that out to his pull-up threes gave Vincent only shot 32 percent which is understandable because pull-up threes you're supposed to shoot worse on but it wasn't any better with regards to him off the dribble now in the playoffs to his credit he did shoot 44 percent from three from catch and shoots which is encouraging and while he did do that during the most important stretch of the season again it is a smaller sample size now, to counteract my own points, it does seem like Miami fans really love this guy and stand by him. They can attest to his character, his metal, his gamesmanship, him showing up when the lights are brightest, never backing down. So I think mentality-wise, heat culture-wise, Gabe Vincent being this gritty sort of competitor, all of those things line up perfectly for what a LeBron James-led team would want. And not to throw D'Angelo Russell under the bus, but I don't think you'll see Gabe Vincent have the same sort of mental breakdown that D'Lo had in the Denver series. And at the very least, you know that Gabe Vincent will always compete defensively, if nothing else. Yeah. In the last episode, I described him as a Mario Chalmers-y type of guard, especially as it pertains to being an off-ball guard on a LeBron James-led team. But I can also see some Isaiah Thomas in him. Like, when Isaiah Thomas was on the Lakers... Not the most recent washed-up stint when he was on a 10-day, but when he was with the Julius Randle Lakers. Like, the first time when we traded for him and he still had a little bit more juice. Do you remember that? Yeah. Just like Isaiah Thomas, when he had it going, he was pulling up from three with no hesitation off the dribble. He's hitting these crazy mid-range jump shots that are tough to hit. He's not really getting into the lane, but sometimes he'll hit you with a nice first step or a hezzy crossover and take it all the way into the lane for a nice layup or even a nice floater. Gabe Vincent does have those tools in his bag. So yeah, Gabe Vincent would be that type of player when he's on. But again, when he's off, he's really off. And I just want to warn Lakers fans about that because if Lakers fans were complaining about Malik Beasley's shot selection... You guys are going to be very surprised by the types of poor shots Gabe Vincent takes. Like, the transition pull-up threes from out of nowhere can be very grating if he's not hitting, and it could stop all of our momentum as a team when he does that type of stuff. So yeah, look, my top-line thought on Gabe Vincent is, I love him as a get for the Lakers in a vacuum, especially when you factor in that he's replacing Dennis Schroeder. But I'm just trying to be more realistic about my expectations for him in contrast to most Lakers fans who just saw his most recent playoff run and are crowning him the starter over D'Angelo Russell. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here like, wait, what? The same D'Angelo Russell who shot 48% from the field and 41% from three for the Lakers, averaging 17 points and six assists? Yeah, let's not do that just yet. But yeah, any additional thoughts on Gabe Vincent?
0: They are clearly taking a a swing on the fact that his three-point shooting is what he showed during the postseason. That's the risk, right? I think with the Schroeder comp, like, not that you were necessarily directly comparing these guys, but, like, in terms of, like, the impact and maybe why we would pay for a guy like Vincent... He, he, I mean, look, I agree with you. He doesn't have the innate playmaking. That's not the type of guard he is. He doesn't have like the downhill, like attack the rim type of pressure. Not necessarily the type of guard he is. So those are two big things, you know, or at least the second one, right, is a pretty big thing we lose from Schroeder last year. But what you're kind of paying for Gabe Vincent for, in my opinion, is a floor. You know, we've talked for a long time about getting like a, I don't know names to throw out and acknowledging that a lot of these guys have different skill sets than Gabe Vincent, but like a TJ McConnell type of like guy that we can put out there as a bench point guard to come in and hound you right? Like D'Angelo and is going to play the type of defense he's going to play. Austin is going to play maybe more point of attack defense with the starters, but Gabe Vincent is going to come in and can, and continue that and up the energy and up the intensity off the bench. In January for the Miami Heat, and again, not to just nitpick one one month here, one month there, because I do understand this is a significant, like, financial commitment for this guy, so you can't necessarily, like, rely on this kind of stuff, but if you're looking for reasons for optimism, in January with the Heat, they played 15 games, they had, like, a crazy, like, I think we had something like this in December, right, where it's, like, we're on-off every other night, Gabe Vincent played in all 15. The Heat went 10 and 5 during that stretch, and he shot uh, 38% from three on five and a half attempts over two makes, 90% from the line, and he averaged about 11 points a game. And he had a couple 27, 28-point games against the Bucks in that month. So, you know, there are things... Like, between that and some of the playoff flashes he's shown, there's some reason to be optimistic But again, even putting all that aside, I think what you're really paying for is like the defensive floor that he brings. It's like, you know that that guy, to some degree, it doesn't matter how poorly he's shooting because he's going to continue shooting it. But he is going to be able to give you at least 10 minutes that we didn't have with Schroeder in some of these matchups in in the playoffs where he can come in and and just play defense at least, at least give you those like intense defensive minutes. And like with the, with the Beasley comp with the shot selection, I totally do buy that. And I would just flag though, that, you know, even last season, like even with the maybe questionable shot selection at times, Gabe Vincent takes less shots per game than, than Beasley did. He's never taken, you know, he didn't average over 10 attempts per game and Beasley's been pretty much over 10 attempts per game for like his last four seasons. So including with us last year, um, so you know it, I I I think I agree with you that Laker fans don't necessarily know what they're getting with Beasley or excuse me with Vincent. I just think that there's like, it's not to me even an upside thing. It's like you know, hopefully he kind of can do what he did as a shooter in the in the playoffs last year and what I flagged sort of in January, and he had a couple other good months after a slow start last year. Hopefully he can do that. But at the very least, you're getting a defensive player and you just sort of hope, right? And it's kind of interesting and maybe it tells us something about the vision they have for their front court or back court. But like, I think they want D'Angelo and Austin to be staggered, sort of like we saw towards the end of the year last year and in the playoffs, and give both of those guys an opportunity to be the primary ball handler. And so when Gabe Vincent is your third guy, sort of like Schroeder was your third guy, like he comes in as the first sub for one of those two guards, and he takes the defensive burden and opens up the offense for whoever was not running the offense for the first part of the game to like take the take the reins, So it kind of frees up D'Angelo and Austin to both be both have the ball in their hands more than they did last year with Schroeder, who I, you and I complained about this all the time, right? But Schroeder would come in in some of those guard heavy lineups. And it's like, why is why is D'Angelo and Austin even on the floor if, if they're not touching the ball right now? So Gabe kind of cleaned some of that up as well.
1: Yeah. And I think as opposed to Malik Beasley, Obviously, Gabe Vincent is the more competent ball handler and playmaker. Yeah, He can playmake pretty well in a pinch, especially in pick and roll. And he does a really good job swinging the ball around and making the right reads in terms of the ball finds energy, proper reads in a half-court setting, which Dennis Schroeder never did a good job of because he was very tunnel vision-y in what he wanted to do. So in some senses, it's almost like we consolidated dennis schroeder and malik beasley into one player with gay vincent yeah. which is something i was pining for last year anytime any one of them was out there and we were just lacking a specific ability a schroeder and beasley fusion was my ideal vision for a replacement player because when dennis schroeder was in he was mucking up the spacing and ball hogging with all of his usage But then on the flip side, when Beasley was in, he couldn't do anything else but chuck up three-point shots and wasn't defending well. Um, one other thing you said about his defense, though, that I want to quickly touch upon is, Gabe Vincent is a competitor for sure, but I don't want to overrate him as a defender. I agree, he's tough, he has tenacity, he has the same sort of of point-of-attack harassment that Dennis Schroeder did but I still just wouldn't overrate his defense. In some senses, I think Dennis Schroeder is probably still the better defender, but mostly at the end of the day, Gabe Vinson is still a 6'3 guard who will get swallowed up by screens. He has a little bit more weight than Dennis Schroeder, so that helps. And luckily, even if he's gonna get swallowed up by screens, he fights through that type of stuff and won't give up on plays, so you like that. But I just wouldn't overrate him to the point where you're viewing... Gabe Vincent as this sort of Marcus Smart type guard stopper, or even a Javon Carter type defender. He's a good defender at his position relative to other small guards, but he's not in that elite tier of defensive guards. But I do think he is the best of both worlds between a Malik Beasley and a Dennis Schroeder that you can get in a backup point guard, who may also close for you at certain points. Kind of like Dennis Schroeder was for D'Angelo Russell last year, kind of like Dennis Schroeder was the D'Angelo Russell buffer, if D'Lo is faltering again in the playoffs, you can easily insert Gabe Vinson into the starting or closing lineup because he doesn't need the ball. Exactly. And actually, I think I've been underselling this point that you brought up about him being an off-ball player, because the fact that he doesn't need the ball to be effective or successful is probably his best attribute, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree, because every, anyone who needs the ball is just taking touches out of D'Angelo and, and Reeves's hands, and those Or guys, LeBron's hands. Or even LeBron's hands, and and those guys, certainly of our backward players, we saw this last year, those are the guys who need the ball. They're really good. I, I know everyone is low on D'Lo right now because of the playoff, or how he kind of uh, faltered at the end of the playoffs, but— Those are our money-making guards. And when you have a third guy in the backcourt like Schroeder, that was always my biggest concern with Schroeder. Is like, really, we're going to pay D'Lo 18 million, we're going to pay Reeves 12 million, and then we're going to bring in a guy, Schroeder, who's just going to take the ball out of both of their hands. And that's like one of the big things about Vincent that I really, really like is you get the defense. And by the way, with his defense, right, he has a solid 20 plus pounds on Dennis Schroeder at a similar size. So he is a sturdy, strong, small guard who can defend and he's not going to get bodied by Jamal Murray, like, like in the same way that Dennis Schroeder did, right? So like he, it's just like, those are the types of things that I think give uh, Gabe Vincent a much higher floor than I think some of the other options um, with the full MLE.
1: Yeah, I agree. And he, you know, played under Eric Spolstra. And if there's anything you can take away from that Heat team, it's that grittiness, that muck-it-up mentality. It doesn't matter who's on the court. You're going to get after it. You're going to play hard. That's what Gabe Vincent has in spades. And I think that's the type of mentality that the Lakers were drawn to. He has that Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Beverly dog in him. At the same time with this team, we fortified a lot of our defensive versatility at the other positions to flank guys like Gabe Vincent and Delo, And we fortified our defensive versatility with some of our own in-house players, including a guy like Max Christie, who seems like he's going to continue to take that leap this season if Summer League is any indication. And he's one guy that I haven't mentioned with regards to the multiple guard rotation crop that we could insert as well. Because Max Christie is a player who could really unlock things for us. And he's really shown how much he's grown on multiple levels. Like he's continued to be a stout defender, but also shown some on-ball creation flashes as well that that I hadn't anticipated. So technically, we may see three-guard lineups with Reeves, Gabe Vincent, and Max Christie at the three. And I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. So there's a lot of interesting things that the Lakers can do here. Ham just has a lot of versatile guards who can play make, who can shoot, dribble the ball, but also defend, outside of D'Angelo Russell. Although we have seen D'Lo hold up in specific team defense schemes, and at the very least, D'Lo is 6'5 and has some size. And so, you're kind of glad that the one guy who is 6'2, 6'3 is also a guy who gets after it on the defensive end and is at the very least physical. So I feel like this is the strongest crop of guards that this Lakers team has ever had in the LeBron James and AD era since we had Caruso, Danny Green, and KCP. But while that team obviously had a higher defensive upside and ceiling, I feel like this team has a higher offensive ceiling, but with closer enough defensive upside to tap into that can kind of approximate that Caruso, Danny Green, KCP championship run guard crop. But yeah, any any final thoughts? Certainly the
0: strongest crop since we had that Rondo, KCP, Caruso. Like, you know, it's it's just guys who really complement each other, like Austin and D'Lo. Both good shooters, both can do things with the ball in their hand. And you mentioned the things that Vincent can do, right? So I just, you know, again, the market is what it is, given where guys sort of ended up. Dennis Schroeder got the full MLE from the Toronto Raptors. And, you know, by the way, there were like rumors going into free agency that teams were going to there that he was a candidate for a full MLE from someone's team. And that's why when the rumors came out that we were going to offer him the full MLE, I kind of bought them a little because I was like, I mean, that they've said that that's his market and it ended up being his market. So, you know, the market is what it is that if guys like him are getting bad, then like, you know, Gabe Vincent, we know from the reports that Miami was offering him basically like nine million starting in year one. So that's what we had to beat. And we beat it. And. Um, I think it was worth it to get a guy like that. And by the way, Rob still, you know, maintained 1.9 million of this exception. So like if someone becomes available at at the deadline in March, like as a waiver player, like that's money that can be applied to, uh, to picking somebody like that up or, you know, somebody uh, signing another free agent that gets, uh, that gets waived even earlier in the season. So factoring in all those things, I just think again, um, getting Gabe Vincent for this price even for the 3 year deal, you know. It's it just like makes a lot of sense and and worst case scenario it doesn't pan out, I don't think this is going to be a super difficult contract to to get out of, so.
1: And you mentioned his safe floor, but I also want to add that on the glass half full side of things. What if we're getting in on him right on his upswing where he's truly hitting his stride? Yes. Where he's really finding himself and we've managed to get him under contract at only $11 million per year during his prime year. So that may be the upside to taking a swing like this. And I feel like that's what the Lakers were thinking about when they gave him this three-year deal. Because I do believe, even though he's already 27, that there is still some upside to Gabe Vincent that can be tapped into. Exactly. Maybe the probability of hitting that ceiling and that upside is only at like 5-10% to because it's rare for a 27-year-old to keep getting better to crazy degrees, but the swing is worth it because you know the floor that Gabe Vincent can give you, right? And it's pretty much what he showed last season. And on this team, I think he does fit like a glove with everyone else that we've compiled. As he mentioned himself in his interview, there are enough guys with size at every position and he's the only guy on this team who's 6'2 right now, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the shortest yeah, guy on that's, the team. That's crazy. And the fact yeah. that the one guy you have is someone who plays defense, that, yeah. that I can get on board with. So I've convinced myself through the course of this episode that Gabe Vincent is, is a worthy swing and signing. The main point here is just keep in mind his flaws and deficiencies and don't pile on unrealistic expectations onto him. Because I also wouldn't even proclaim him to be a tried-and-true playoff player who, once the Lakers get into the playoffs, let's not just all assume that he's going to replicate what he did this past year with the Heat. Even this year, in the playoffs, he was up and down offensively. Four straight games of single digits, right? Yeah. Having said that, on this team with a more downsized role, and this is a point I haven't brought up yet, Tommy, but on this team, with a more downsized role, I think Gabe Vincent may even be able to flourish a little bit more. Yeah. Because on the Heat last season, he was their starting point guard because Kyle Lowry was banged up all year and, frankly, was just washed up. And so Gabe was forced into playing a bigger role than he had to But on this team, he'll be slotted in more properly as more of a tertiary guy. On some nights, he'll still close. On some nights, he'll still play 30 minutes. But he won't be relied upon to do everything he was doing for the Miami Heat last year on this Lakers team. Hopefully, that doesn't throw him for a loop if he doesn't get the same touches and minutes he was getting with the Miami Heat. But I think throughout the course of his career, Gabe is used to being a role player. So I don't think that should be too much of a problem. And if he's able to buy into this reduced role, maybe he'll be able to solely focus on knocking down more of his catch and shoot threes like he did during the 2021-22 season when he shot a career best 37% hitting 1.7. So for all those reasons, I can get behind the fact that even though this is a swing on an unproven guy based off of one strong playoff run, it is a worthy swing especially because the Lakers now have their fundamental core pieces around them. And I think that's the most important part. Because we've built the team the right way and saw a proof of concept that actually works from last season, our margin for error for the first time is a lot bigger than it has been in previous years. And Gabe Vincent will just be expected to be, quote-unquote, value-added versus be the answer to all of the Lakers' problems. Yeah. So, yeah. That'll do it for our additional focus on Gabe Vincent. He is one of the most important signings of the Lakers offseason as the newest free agent that garnered the biggest deal in the non-taxpayer MLE, as well as getting the most amount of years out of any of our new free agents, three years, which aligns with Austin Reeves' contract and Rui Hachimura's contract. So that's why I wanted to place additional special emphasis on Gabe Vincent. He shall factor in very importantly to the Lakers in the playoffs, but he'll also have a huge role in the regular season as well because replacing Dennis Schroeder's production was crucial. But yeah, with that said, have a great rest of your summer. Everybody stay cool. And uh, yeah, more Lakers to come as we try and trudge our way through this offseason. So, Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. See ya.